right, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. And we have a great show. Great show. Yeah, we have presidential candidate Andrew Yang. So good. That was a real victory for yeah, us. It was a victory for you, too. For me, this mostly, was, this yeah. This was a public relations effort yeah, on your part. Yeah, it was part. a coup, if right. you will, yeah. Yeah. And he's already seen the celebrated helper bump. Yes, he's already seen a financial boom from... You predicted he would go up in the polls if he came on the show. Right. What we know is that he's he's achieved a major fundraising. Right. He, he raised $750,000 in a single day, which I think we can take all the credit yeah, for. Yeah, because and he then... tweeted the photo of coming on the show. So basically what happened is, if, if viewers and listeners don't know, there's something called... Um, well, it's a transitive property. So there's the Katie Halper show bump. Right. Then there's the um, Useful Idiots podcast show bump. You struggle to remember the name of the show that you're currently... No, doing. I was trying to think if I should call it Useful Idiots bump right, or okay. Useful Idiots podcast show bump. It was a little awkward. Right. But you know what? We don't even have to... In this case, it was all this show. It was all mm-hmm. Useful Idiots. It was all UIP. <laughs> it was a UIP bump. UIPB. Right. Yeah, all I'm all we can say is that just like we talked about Chase Boudin, right. and we gave him he did get the useful idiots endorsement. Felony murder we were mixed on, we were divided on. It was right. a divided house, but we still decided to give him the endorsement. And what do you know? In a very thin victory, Chase Boudin won the election for San Francisco DA. Right, right. And so we 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 don't know what's going to happen with the no. polls yet. We do know that he's he's still ahead of Michael Bloomberg, which is yeah, which is cool. Yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah. And it, we'll we'll see after the after the show airs right. whether he uh, he actually gets a bump in the polls. But he was great. We he had a really great. fun time really talking fun to time him. him. He, was, yeah. he was actually really, really funny too. So. Really funny and yeah. much taller than I thought. Yes, yes, yes. Very funny, very engaging. Yeah, very funny, very engaging. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He had some things that you know, normally, he had some cutting comments of, of a type you don't normally hear from right. a politician. Very funny. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be great. And we have a lot of other stuff to talk about. This has been a kind of a crazy, crazy week in politics. Week, yeah. I also hope the media, if, if they have an integrity, they'll include the useful idiot's appearance in their reporting about his fundraising. But. Right. Well, of course. Yeah, that's a, that's a given. So a lot to get stuff to get to. Yeah. Let's start with, uh, you know, four food groups. Uh, Republicans suck. Democrats suck. Uh, right. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that weird? What do we have for Republicans so suck? for Republicans, legislators. In Pennsylvania and Ohio, are proposing incredibly restrictive anti-abortion legislation. This is actually a story from our own, your own uh, Rolling Stone journalist, Peter Wade. Peter Wade. Yep. Two bills currently making their way through state legislatures in Pennsylvania and Ohio aim to place new, sometimes medically impossible, restrictions on pregnant bodies. In Ohio, Republican legislatures legislators are pushing a bill that would require doctors attempt to, quote, reimplant an ectopic pregnancy into the woman's uterus, a procedure that does not exist because it is not medically possible. An ectopic pregnancy is a life-threatening condition where an egg implants in the fallopian tube rather than in the uterus. Yeah. And then as Dr. Krizan, vice president of Practice activities, activities at, at the, the American Im- College of Obstetrics and Gynecologists told The Guardian, there is no procedure to reimplant an ectopic pregnancy. It is not possible to move an ectopic pregnancy from a fallopian tube or anywhere else it might have implanted to the uterus. He added, reimplantation is not physiologically possible. <laughs> and then the Ohio bill would also outlaw abortion and add new crimes, abortion murder, and aggravated abortion murder to its laws to punish doctors who perform abortions. According to the proposed bill, aggravated abortion murder will be punishable by death. And Pennsylvania anti-choice legislators have also passed a bill that would require burials or cremation for fetal remains <laughs> from any time in a pregnancy after conception. This law currently requires burials or cremations for fetuses after 16 weeks of gestation. But the new law would apply to expulsion or extraction from its 
mother or a product of conception which shows no evidence of life after the expulsion or extraction, meaning it could effectively apply to fertilized eggs that are not yet a fetus, including frozen fertilized eggs from IVF. Okay, so wait, what, you, you would have to... You would have to have a burial for yeah. an, an egg that you've not used in an, from an IVF procedure? Yeah, and also the onus would be on medical providers to properly dispose of the remains unless the mother states she will dispose of them on her own or face fines ranging from f- 50 to 300 or up to 30 days in prison. Okay, so, so, so let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's just unpack this. Yeah, let's unpack this. So first of all, I love this because this is old school evil Republicans yeah, right now. Like if when, when, right. I'm, when I'm trying to do Republicans suck now, I have this terrible uh, problem, which is that I, I search for news about Republicans and, like, and the first 50 things are all like Republicans doing Russian talking points yeah, or whatever exactly. it is. It's like, it's like hard to find. Right, and Democrats know. doing terrible pro-war things. Right, right. right? So this, you know, it's, it's, it's become kind of yeah. a, you know, a little bit of I a... Like, I, this is heartwarming. Right? It's yeah, nice to a, see some vintage evil Republican stuff that right? like, that's there. But honestly, the Russia gate obsessed media barely leaves room for this stuff. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's like, uh, it's, it's not even delivered in the normal course delivered. of news anymore. Oh, God. <laughs> not even delivered but this is fantastic this is yeah. this is like uh this is like old school like you know ralph reed style republicans yeah. meets like frankenstein yeah. right because what they want to do is they they want to do something that's like logistically yeah. physically medically impossible right. <laughs> so they want to rewrite medical history by by the state legislature you're right it's weird it's a weird combo of like traditional family values let nature take its course don't be like don't use extraordinary medical technology or right, anything it's, but applying, but then it's applying that to. It's a reverse Terry Shivo. Oh my God! It's a right? reverse Terry Shivo. It's an RTS. Right. Yes. Exactly. It's like a it's like a wrestling maneuver. Like they flipped God. the Terry Shivo, basically thinking back on its. I guess, Terry yeah. Shivo thinking, Matt. Oh, that's God. the whole point. Uh, it's so exhausting. Yeah, okay. So I know, it's so exhausting co-hosting a show with such a masterful pun. Right. Yeah, it is. It is. It's tough. Um, yeah. I don't know if all of our listeners and viewers remember the story. Yeah, they, some of them aren't old enough. Right. Some of them were just a, in the fallopian tube. Right. Yeah, exactly. They uh, were, they were on their in, way. They to were at frozen eggs and IVF. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so this is a woman who was in a vegetative state. A persistent, a persistent vegetative state in Florida. Right. And there was a big political debate over whether she should be basically pulled from life support. It was a really sad story. Her husband wanted to remove the plug. Yeah, he wanted to. And then everybody in America had to, uh, like, learn the word feeding tube. Right. Right. So it was all about whether. Yeah. Yeah. And the parents didn't. Right. And there was a huge debate and all these Republicans intervened. You know who was weird on that? You know who you wouldn't expect to come down on the side of the parents in that one? Who? Jesse Jackson. Did he really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you but know. you know what? He's a good. I mean, the religion thing. Yeah, you the never religion know, thing. So. That's, that makes things complicated. But, but that was great. That was again. That was the like. The, I think that was Bush era. Right? It was Bush era. Yeah. So that was that was during. That Bill was when Frist was really concerned Bill with Frist, it, right? Right. Yeah. And and it was basically when all the Republicans they were seeing Jesus in the face of every tree stump, right? And it right. was it was great. Everybody knew who was who and what was what, and you know everything. Exactly. Was yeah. Yeah. It was it was a terrible story. It was politicized. I understand the parents wanting to keep their daughter. On life support, I understand the husband wanting to remove her. There are all these nefarious stories, though, about how the husband was like motivated by you know financial stuff or right. Yeah, no, it's it's all this, the the media idiocy, idiocy that we see 
today, except right. it was just, it was all piled onto these two right. different sides on that. Right. And, and it was one of those things where, like, if you're Terry Schiavo or a zygote, the Republicans fight hard for you. Right. But if you are just, like, a little kid, right. they want to slash your, like, food Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Starve. Yeah. If you're if you're if you're a you know an adolescent uh, you know accused of shoplifting or something like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But this is great. This this recalls this Iowa story. Recalls this. Right. And the the notion that you'd have to have a burial ceremony for. Oh my God. Yeah. So for 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 a fertilized IVF egg. I mean that's that's like next level. We should go and freeze. We should like just release all of them and do a mass burial. Right. Go into some (laughs) some medical facility, find them and. And just do that. Right, um, right. Some it, people do bury their placentas, but that's a different thing. Really? But that's like after they're born. That's the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. I don't know why they do that. I, I just don't have any feelings about placentas. You're placenta generally. neutral? Yeah, I'm placenta neutral. I'm placenta curious. I don't know where <laughs> I fall yet on that. People sometimes eat them. I had a dog who gave birth and I watched her eat the placenta. Like so that's, that's where my, my yeah, oh, okay. yeah. I think of it as, as nutrient. So that was good. That's, that's a great Republican Yes, suck. that's a great Republican. And uh, can I have, I have a very small anecdote. Sure. Teeny, teeny zygote sized anecdote about that, which is once I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Jewish, so I'm a hypochondriac. And I had like some pain in my, you know, uterine area. And I was like, oh, my God, it ha- it's an ectopic pregnancy. And uh-huh. I was single at the time, which is relevant. I was like, oh, my God, it must be an ectopic pregnancy. So I called my cousin, who's a physician's assistant. And I was like, Annie, I'm really nervous. I think I, I have a lot of pain in, in my uterus in one side. It must be an ectopic pregnancy. She's like, oh, okay, this may be TMI, so we can cut it. She's like, oh, oh, okay, cool. So you're, oh, you're seeing someone or you, you had sex with someone recently? And I was like, no. She's like, since your last period? I was like, no. She's like, okay. It's not going to be an ectopic pregnancy. <laughs> like, I forgot let, the let science me, required. Let's just go through the yeah. basics there. Yeah. yeah, That was an interesting, like, clash of civilizations because my Jewish um, hypochondria and my Jewish tendency to understand science and medicine, right. one outweighed the other. Right, right, right. Obviously, I'd been very terrified by some article on ectopic pregnancy. Huh. It can kill you. Yeah. Because it can rupture. I mean, yes, it's of awful. course. Yeah, I yeah. know, yeah, but you, you skipped a but step I skipped in there. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. Moving right along, for Democrats suck, great one. You know, and, what do we got? and again, there's just no shortage. Washington Post headline kind of says it all. Yeah. Goldman Sachs seeks to rebrand as wealth takes center stage in the Democratic presidential race. So basically, the. The gist of the story is that uh, Goldman, because it is, as the Washington Post describes, earned the reputation of being a, a, a totem of runaway Wall Street greed that helped precipitate the 2008 financial crisis. Um, it is trying to reverse that, that image right. and is trying to counteract the, the negative uh, impact of the campaigns of Warren and Sanders in particular by hosting a series of, of small business forums that are being attended by uh, at least six of the major pres- presidential candidates on the... Um, can I guess who they are? Sure, yeah. Uh, Mayor Pete? He has not decided oh. yet. Oh, okay, hold on. So, wow. All right, uh, Biden? Biden is one of them. Biden, Klobe? Klobe, absolutely. Very um, good. Not Tulsi? Nope. No, okay. What's think, r- more, think more scary. Scary. We've talked about this person on the show. Oh, Booker. Booker, oh, yes. Of course the the, the, the head eating yeah, candidate. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good on veganism, bad on uh, Wall Street. Right. Okay. Okay, well, I'm just going to. All cut. right, tell me. It's, it's Bennett, uh, Beto O'Rourke. 
Oh, wait, wait, but he's done. He's done, yeah, but he's still but doing he's it. But he's still there? And Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who is drawing more interest from Wall Street donors as a potential moderate alternative to Biden, is still considering whether to participate, a spokesman for his campaign said. Wow. So this, this to me, it, it's, Man, such, a, it's such a great it. story because just only one election cycle after, after Democrats suffered Tremendous damage in the in the race against Donald Trump, precisely because they're not precisely the major factor. Part, yeah. was was that uh, Trump? They ceded all the populist themes to Donald right. Trump ahead of time by nominating a candidate who had you know all these ties to Wall Street, who was beaten up for that in the in the primary campaign. And how how could anybody think that going to a forum hosted by Goldman Sachs is going to be a winner politically in the end? I mean, even if even if you like them, right. you try to keep that under wraps. Right? Yeah, it's a bad optics move. It's just it's just so short sighted. In in addition to the fact that you probably shouldn't be uh, get, oh, being involved with the company, right, right, right. but it's just uh, it's just an amazing story. You know, I cannot imagine what it'd be like to live with a President Bennett in power because I went to Wesleyan and the president of Wesleyan at the time was Michael Bennett's father, Doug Bennett. Wow. So I feel like I should do an AMA, Reddit, Ask Me Anything, What's It Like to Live Under a Bennett? Very garbled voice. Right. Yeah, he, he has that Carlton and Doorman voice. I think yeah. we've talked about this yeah. before. Yeah. But the dad has it worse. Oh, really? I don't think the dad does that thing where he holds his um, elbows in each other's, in his hands. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would um, be an interesting presidential pose. If yeah. Goldman Sachs is, who's the guy there? The guy who's doing God's work? That was Lloyd Blankfein. He's no longer there. Right. Though. He was there, right? Yes. And um, did I ever tell you about my dad and him? You might have. Go- they. Li- I grew up in the building that he, my parents lived in a building That's where right. you Lloyd were Blankfein. Yeah. yeah, we were over Lloyd's. Yeah. Not over Lloyd's, over Lloyd's. Over Lloyd, yeah. And my dad did let the bath run and flooded his apartment You might have, twice. it might have been a butterfly effect thing oh God, yeah, where right. his irritation over that day decided, led him to, I don't know, unleash subprime mortgages right. all over the world or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sorry on behalf of my dad. Yeah. Yeah. But um, just, it's just incredible to me that it's like going to a forum that's hosted by Brown and Williamson or, or you know, R.J. Reynolds or something like that. Right. Like, who, who, would, who would do it? Or Raytheon. I guess they do that, yeah. too. But uh, oh, So what do we have for isn't that... Well, uh, before we go there, I feel like it's my duty to tell you something, Matt, that you don't know. Okay. Are you sitting down? I know you're sitting down because I'm sitting next to you and I'm sitting down. Listeners, are you sitting down? We lost a couple people. Oh, in the race. Camp Crystal Lake, yeah. Yeah. We lost Sestak you may never have heard of. (laughs) Raise your hand if you weren't aware that Sestak was even running. Or who he was. Right, or who he was. I knew about who he was from Netroots Nation years ago. Very masculine military. Fellow? We lost him. We lost Sandra Bullock's father. Oh. Not related to him. Not related, I was going to say. His name is Bullock, right? Yes. Okay. Steve, right? Steve Bullock, right? Yeah, from Montana. Yes. Yes. And you don't know this one, but one of the people you just mentioned doing the, the... Goldman Sachs thing we lost. We did? Mm-hmm. Harris? Wow. In the middle of this broadcast? A couple minutes before we I spoke to the crew. We decided to wait to tell you. Here it is. Here's a tweet to my supporters. It is with deep regret, but also with deep gratitude that I'm suspending my campaign today. But I want to be clear with you. I will keep fighting every day for what this campaign has been about. Justice for the people. All the people. Wow. Unless... You were the parent of someone who was I threw in jail for smoking in weed. In which case, you should go to jail. Right. Yeah. What, so, okay, let's talk about the most important thing about that yeah. first, which is that this means that the that our 
the the guest of useful idiots is now in fifth place and not in uh and not in sixth place andrew yang oh now moves my gosh up. she got yanged right she the got yang yanged. is when you see that yang is doing a big thing big deal thing like going on useful idiots right you reassess your unstoppable campaign momentum yeah. situation yeah exactly we might as well just talk about this quickly because yeah, she course. had a terrible weekend where yeah. one of yeah. her, one of her major aides did like a nuke bomb letter that was published uh, and then immediately moved to to uh, Bloomberg's right. campaign, which, is which like, I thought you could have pitched as a good thing. Like, you know, if this person is leaving my campaign and going to Bloomberg, like, you know. Right. That was that could have been a good Kamala move. Right. right? Yeah. yeah. You could be like leaving my campaign for, uh, you know, rich, good riddance. white, yeah. old, straight Republican. Right. Curious guy who's trying to buy the election. Yeah. If that person had gone, had left Kamala for Warren or Sanders. I mean, going to Biden or Bloomberg was kind of like a, a neutralizing move, I right. almost feel like. So Harris is out. Harris is out. Harris, we hardly knew you. So c- can we just pour a little of a you know, metaphorical 40 dog out in yeah. the ground for our fellow uh, people in the conventional wisdom sphere yeah. who yeah, right. genuinely thought that Harris was going to be the, the nominee uh, back in uh, January and February yeah. when this campaign was starting. All the smart money said right. this this was the candidate. We, should, the, have a sh- we should have a board of the conventional wisdom predictions and write them off like cross them out as they are, as, as, as they, they as they don't yeah. happen yeah. yeah the fact that they actually thought this and anybody who's ever seen her in public just you know that this, this is just not a person who is who's going to be able to pull why this off. i haven't seen her in pu- i mean i've seen her in public but not have you seen her close up in public you're saying i mean her presentation it's just her campaign was so awful from the start it was uh, she had such an, a tremendously difficult time finding a message or yeah. finding any part of her personality yeah. that people liked or, right. or any part of her story that people liked. And yet, I think people just put together a couple of things about her and they said, oh, that's the person who's going to be the nominee. Right. Yeah, you know? she was she was hamstrung by her own record also. Right. Of course. Um, she was good. It's funny. She was obviously for obvious reasons much better as the D.A. of San Francisco than she was as the attorney general. Of California. What do we have for, uh, isn't that weird? Isn't that terrible? Isn't that terrible, right? Isn't that terrible? So um, listeners, viewers may remember that, Matt, actually, you uh, told us about an interesting story where a man was caught um, on tape, on videotape, dumping a body into a dumpster in Pueblo, Colorado. Which I thought just spoke to the poor quality of criminal today. Yeah, it was, it was, yes, it was a terrible, it's a, it's a a sign of how low we've come as a society when our criminals are as sloppy as this one was. But what was, you know, what you pointed out was that a, a resident from that area said that this wasn't normal. People aren't normally openly putting bodies right, into yeah, a dumpster. Yeah, they have. Yeah. There's an art to it. There's some discretion, right? Right. So when, okay. when this story first came out, they didn't even have a suspect. I don't think, right? Right. They, they right. had. They had an image. They of had the an image. They had video, and you saw the body going in, right? Right. The, um, into the dumpster. And now we know that there is a suspect. And at first there was a suspect, but we didn't know who the victim was. And now we know that the victim was the suspect's mom. Right. If it's true, if he's found guilty, if he is guilty, we don't know. He's just a suspect. If he is guilty, this will be a case of matricide. Wow. That, I mean, I don't even know how to make a joke about that. That's that's it a, writes itself. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty brutal. It was a brutal story when we first talked right. about it, but that's just absolutely horrible. I know. Yeah, it's not really. Yeah, it's not that funny. It's just like 
that's just terrible. Yeah. Also, really a puppy was found in permafrost <laughs> from 18,000 years ago, I think. Did you hear about this? That's, <laughs> that's a real terrible a, thing. That's kind of nice, don't you think? Well, it was so cute. I don't know. Like, it looks, it was intact. <laughs> Look, we have a picture Yeah, of it? there's a picture of it. There's a cute little puppy. They don't know if it's a puppy or a, a, um, a puppy or a wolf, but it's an 18,000-year-old permafrost pup. But guess where, guess who found it, though? Guess what kind of scientist found it? A Russian scientist? Dun, they are, dun, they're dun. always finding stuff. So who, can we even believe it? No, I think we, I think we can believe it. I mean, <laughs> wow, that thing is surprisingly hairy. A puppy was preserved in permafrost in eastern Russia. It's 18,000 years old. It looks great. I want to know its, its skincare routine. But yeah. is it terrible that I feel bad for it? I'm like, what happened to that puppy 18,000 years ago? But I mean, the, the, but thanks to the miracle of genetics, that puppy They're, might end up being alive again. Who knows? Oh, my God. Can we try to bring back the puppy back to life here? Yeah, bring it onto start, the table? Let's, let's start a... Uh, CPR it? Very cute. Yeah. That's a happy story. It's, a ha it's bittersweet. Yeah, it's, it's bittersweet. Isn't that bittersweet? Um, okay, isn't that weird? I just love this headline. Florida woman files federal lawsuit to keep her emotional support chickens. Federal lawsuit? Yeah. This is like... Five different things about modern America that are that are kind of nuts all in one story. So first of all, this woman, I guess she's she's depressed, and so she goes to a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist actually like prescribes her, her gives her a letter telling her to go get emotional support animals, which leads her to buy four chickens, uh, which is weird on a couple of levels. Chickens, uh, the emotional support animal. We can talk about that in a yeah. minute because this the, there's people push this. Yeah, but then. She has the chickens, which who she calls her girls, on her property. And this woman, apparently, all of her relatives are, have died. She um. doesn't have anybody in her life, so she's she's dependent on these these animals, and it's kind of sad, you yeah. know. So she's in a homeowners association, and she's paying a mortgage on this property. And her the other people in the association are telling her to get rid of the chickens. Why? Like, which is which is like jerky. So you have like the silly, like over woke, whatever emotional support animals, but then you have the over intrusive obnoxious Americans who have to be in, involved in everybody's yeah. business and let, let this woman right. have her chickens yeah. and everything. and not is, eat them too. Right, well, right, yes, exactly. Well, yeah. no, I mean, I think that's like, why do they care about mm -hmm. this, these chickens? I mean, what I think is weird and funny, but I don't judge her, is like, I would want, you know, if I need support, I'd want a puppy, obviously, or maybe a piglet. Right. But Yeah, a Vietnamese pot belly. Yeah, exactly, they're so cute. Or like pig. a cocoa, like a gorilla. Right, yes. So well, a gorilla would get that would get intense pretty quickly. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, <laughs> but, but like I'm just saying what I would want. Forget logistics. So, but for logistics and desire, a puppy or a piglet. But I don't really see the appeal of chickens. But I don't judge her for that. And I think it's interesting that it was a pack of four. I mean, what about one chicken? Maybe you know she was probably it's good because she was probably being sensitive to the needs of the chickens who right. need each other and her. But yeah, what do these people care about these chickens? What yeah, are they right? doing? You know, it's just so obnoxious. And but but the funny thing is, you can flip this the other way. Like I, I want to just talk about the concept of emotional support animals because over the holidays, oddly enough, I, somebody who I was close to took a flight and was across the hall from somebody who was basically pushed out of uh, her seat because the, the person next to her had an emotional support Doberman. Aww. A full-blown That's gigant. a big one. Yeah. yeah, and so they basically took up two seats and wouldn't wouldn't give up the seat to the person who was actually sitting in it. Across the aisle. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, and she's like, you know, I have an emotional support animal. I need it, you know. Right. And to me, that's a little nuts. Like, See, I think if what should happen is that they probably, the airport, the airline should probably pay for an extra seat. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to disenfranchise somebody who's any, anyway. Yeah. I just think it, it can go too far, but this is like too far in the other direction. Yeah, of course, let let yeah. the woman have her chickens. Yeah. Right. So obviously it was a big week in the presidential campaign here in America. We had, we lost three more uh, campers on Camp Crystal Lake, but I think we should really start with some international news yeah. this week. Um, you know, we have a lot of listeners around the world. We have a lot of listeners in Great Britain, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Uh, and there's a huge election coming up. A lot really rests upon, you know, there's, there's a real possibility that labor could actually win this election. You're starting to see amazing. increased panic about this uh, in both the, the American, but especially in the European yeah. and British press. It's been unbelievable. I mean, it, even compared to the lunacies that we've seen in the, in the United States in the, couple, the last couple of years, right. the propaganda in Britain has been off the hook yeah. in the last week or so, pretty yeah. especially. Uh, today we have a story in the Daily Telegraph where the headline is, Corbyn's dossier points to Russians. And this is like Russiagate on steroids. It's yeah. essentially the same story. Yeah. Because the, at the root of it is a leak of something true, which yeah. is what also Russiagate was. Right. And this, this is a leak of a, a document that sort of exposed that the United States and uh, Britain were having talks about letting American business interests into the DHS health system. Right? NHS. NHS, National I'm sorry. National Health Service. DHS yeah. is us. Yeah. yeah. The NHS health, health right. system. The British Labour Party claims it has evidence the NHS is up for sale in post-Brexit negotiations with the US. They have documents showing the US is interested in discussing drug pricing. Labour argues this could lead to patients paying more for medicines. The Tories dismissed it as a stunt to distract attention from the row over anti-Semitism. What's at stake in a deal with Trump could not be more important for our country. After a miserable start to the week, Labour trying to drag this election onto their preferred battleground, the NHS. Jeremy Corbyn revealing hundreds of pages of uncensored documents, which he says proves the NHS is on the table in trade talks with the US. Papers showing officials from the two countries had held talks on drug pricing and access to NHS contracts. And so they're spinning this now by saying the manner in which this document came out on Reddit resembles other Russian propaganda campaigns that, that involved faked material. So even though this isn't fake. Uh, right. Um, right. That's we should. Right. So like the focus is increasingly on who delivers the news and the style in which it's delivered. Right. And that way you can scare people off from looking at the actual news. Right. And so the actual news is embarrassing to, you know, to the Tories. It's, yeah. em it's, emba it's embarrassing to the, the British political establishment. Right. Uh, and to yet, Trump. Right. To Trump. And, and they're flipping it uh, on Corbyn and Labour so for disgusting. some ridiculous reason, because the manner in which this came out resembles... Uh, the way other things were leaked, allegedly, right. uh, by, by, by Russians. And, and so... Yeah, I mean, honestly, if it were that way, if the Russians did, it's like that, that narrative, you're letting the Russians win, you're helping the Russians if you disseminate this. Right. Which is like such a, a scary argument, and we see it so much all over. We see it like, this is why so many people make certain people toxic. It's like, if something's on Fox News, and you and I are not fans of Fox News... But what happens is you can't say things in the mainstream media like certain people won't be allowed onto mainstream media. You can't say it on MSNBC. So what happens? You have to go on Fox and say it. And then because it's coming from Fox News, it's not true. 
It is true. You just don't like, and I don't like Fox either. But it's a similar thing where you don't focus on the content. It's just about how it comes out. But th- they haven't even demonstrated that that's how it came yep, out. Sorry, yes. That's, that's so that's the, the other thing. level. It's like, right. So let's, I guess my point is like to play devil's advocate or to concede as much as we can to them, just for argument's sake, right? Let's say it's true that this came from Russia. Let's just say it did. And we have no idea if it did, right? So that's one part of it. All right. they had to say, there's no burden of proof. Right. We just say it was the Russians and we should have a, it was the Russian sound effect, something from like Tchaikovsky or. Right. Yeah. So there's that level. And then there's the level of, let's say it were Russian right. or let's say something. Because I, I know that like sometimes I'm afraid to say like this is from WikiLeaks. Why? Right. WikiLeaks, you may not like them. You may not like Julian Assange. It's not untrue. Right. Nothing's been disproven. Yeah. But it's become such a like a tainting. Well, Ugh, you go back to 2016, yeah. remember the whole meme about fake news we grew up after a lot of the things that happened in 2016, right. but the, the, the biggest things that were leaked in 2016 were true. I mean, it was, they, were, right. they were actual emails from, from the DNC right. or from Podesta. But if you share them, you're helping the Russians. Yeah, you're, you're disseminating Russian talking points. So in this case, they don't even have that. All right. they're, all right. they're doing, right. they're, they're quoting the Atlantic Council and this group called Grafica. Uh, and the Atlantic Council, don't forget, is, is in significant part funded by the British government. Right. Right? That's one of their major funders. Yeah. So, so you Good essentially, they're Council. turning around the, the, the people who, who are getting political benefit from the leak of this, of this thing and putting it on labor. And they're saying labor has to answer questions about this. Like, right. why does labor have no. to answer questions about right. this? For, for responding to a leak. Right. What, what did they, have they done wrong? Nothing. Like what's there? Yeah, and it's so blatantly, it's such a McCarthyite, disgusting smear campaign, and it's part of. There's like this duo of Russians. The Russians are coming narrative, and the you're an anti-Semite narrative. Well, that's the other thing that that, that Corbyn has been dealing with. Essentially, they're, they're, they're doing this new new style of politics where somebody makes an accusation, uh, and then you had you had a rabbi in, yeah. in uh, a prominent rabbi in Britain. Shonda, you're a Shonda. That means shame in Yiddish. Oh, really? You say that to people, yeah. Who basically said that there were there there was an atmosphere of anti-Semitism throughout Labor, and that Corbyn needed to apologize for this. And then there was this amazing moment where Corbyn was interviewed, and if we could hear this, let's go to the videotape. Wouldn't you like to take this opportunity tonight to apologize to the British Jewish community for what's happened? What I'll say is this. I am determined that our society will be safe for people of all faiths. I don't want anyone to be feeling insecure in our society. And our government will protect every community. So no apology? Against the abuse they receive on the streets, on the trains, or in any so other, no apology for in how you any other this. form of life. And try one more time. No, no hang apology. on a minute, Andrew. Can I explain what we're trying to do? You have, and you've been given plenty of time to do it. I asked you if you wanted to apologise. Andrew, and you I haven't. don't want anyone to go through what anyone has and gone through. And you've said that several times. I understand that, Mr. Corbyn. I was asking you about an apology. Let's move on to Brexit. Four, four times they ask him to apologise, and this, and this is all they're, all they're really doing. It's... it's there's there's no story here. It's just you right. you, you are this answer this and there's yeah. no, there's no way to answer it. If you say yes, you're doomed. If you say no, right. you're doomed. Right. If you say yes, oh, Corbyn acknowledges his party's anti-Semitic. If right. he says no, he refuses to apologize. Corbyn refuses to apologize. Yeah. And somebody did a study about this, and they found that three three hundred I think the number was three hundred and eighty-seven uh, articles have been generated about Corbyn's anti-Semitism, and you know I think it was over the course of one month in this right. fall. So we'll have to look that up. Wow. But it's this awesome quantity of stories about this one thing that has 
look, if there was if there was some kind of epidemic of anti-Semitism sure. within labor, I think we probably would have heard about right. it before. Yeah. Also, it's like, no, if you actually take anti-Semitism or any ism or phobia seriously, you know that not one party ever has a monopoly on it. Right. Right. Like similar thing with the Bernie bro narrative. If misogyny is endemic and systemic, the idea that it only exists among supporters of one candidate is actually offensive to people who take this thing seriously. And the idea that Tories are this woke, like, you know, pro-Jewish, Jew-embracing party in England is absurd also. And of course, course. the issue is like being anti-Semitic does not mean being critical of Israel, or I should say being critical of Israel is not anti-Semitic. And we know that because a lot of the biggest critics of Israel are Jews. Right. But they're called self-loathing Jews. So like Bernie Sanders, Noam Chomsky, they're, they're smeared as self-loathing Jews. They're, they have that one level of protection, which is that they're Jewish, so they're self-loathing. And then Corbyn gets called um, an anti-Semite. Although he can't say this, but as a Jew, I think he looks Jewish. <laughs> I think he should get some like Jewish protection. Should he ham it up a I little bit? I think he should ham oh. it up or like get up. Ham it up. Oh, well said. Wow, <laughs> good. I'm rubbing off on you. So I'm going to come out as a labor supporter and a Corbyn supporter. And my, instead of, I'm not going to donate to the campaign, but I will be a Jewish advisor to the campaign. <laughs> okay. You can be a friend of the Jew advisor. Right. Jew co- colleague. Right. Jew adjacent. Yes. Um, Some of my best friends are Jew exactly. advisors. Yeah. And we should also point out that this, the, the reason Americans should pay attention to this whole situation, apart from the fact that it has massive global importance, yeah. but the, this is what's going to happen if Bernie Sanders right. gets the nomination. And we already should, see it. We yeah. saw it with the Russiagate stuff. They tried right. to taint him yeah. because they said that you know the Russians wanted him in. So of course well, the, it's the same sources. It's the same Atlantic Council right. people who just relentlessly pound that theme. But for sure, I mean, I think this is really an indication that the, there's actually real fear that Corbyn is going right. to, or that Labor is going to win this election. Uh, and we, we should brace ourselves if Bernie does win the nomination. And, and he, it, it's looking like that's actually a possibility oh, now. Imagine? You know, this, this is the kind of stuff that we're going to start to see a lot of, yeah. I think. This will probably get heavier, especially yeah. if, the, if there's like a jump ball situation with the, with the nomination where, where it's close. Right, yeah. I think, I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, an avalanche of this right. kind of negative stuff. But. Yeah, and Bernie and, and, San, and, Bernie and uh, Corbyn are both very good on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And they've spoken out in ways that others well, not just saying controversial things like Palestinians are human beings and have rights. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we should we should pay close attention to what happens in no. that election. I think it's the 12th is when it's, when it's going to happen. And, and uh, it's that's going to be some major news. So. Other other news this week. Joe Biden. He bit his wife's finger. Yeah. OK. On so video. I didn't know how to put that yeah. delicately. Yeah. I think we, sh- we should talk about this. Yeah. Is it bad or is it good? Let's let's let's, let's, go, let's to go to the video tape. tape. First, yeah. first of all, you want them. That's, isn't that from uh, A Few Good Men? You want me on that wall. You need yeah. me on that wall. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Also, I, gotta, I love the no malarkey. You know what? He decided to go with no malarkey instead of find the rationale. Instead of find the rationale. We should do some photoshopping where we put, instead of no malarkey, we do find the rationale, see how it looks. Find, find the rationale, yeah. yeah. I think that slogan, would be yeah. We, should, we should have a find the rationale bus. 
Yeah. Because he has a no malarkey bus. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. All right. The no yeah. malarkey bus. And we need to find the rationale bus. Yeah. I think the no malarkey bus is the worst campaign bus since the Straight Talk Express. Jesus. Trump had some bad buses, too, I should, I should point out. But, yeah. but no malarkey, that's a terrible, terrible bus. It sounds anti-Irish. But, you know, there is a big debate over how bad of a moment this was for Biden. And I got to say, I'm not a... I'm yeah, not, I'm not I'm not 100 percent. I don't know how bad it is. I mean, it was a for, first of all, there's a Biden scale. right? Well, uh, can we look at the other yeah. end of the Biden sure. scale? Yeah. Because there's a there's a video that kind of resurfaced. Right. And I think on the far end of the nuts Biden spectrum, we should look at this this video from I think it's from the Corn Pop speech. It is. Yeah. Um, and it's it kind of circulated on the on social media yeah. over the weekend. So let's take a look. And by the way, you know, I sit on the stand and it get hot. I got a lot of I got hairy legs that turn that 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 that, that turn uh, um, blonde in the sun. And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down. So it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They'd look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. It's like a whole bowl of wrong. I was almost with him. I, like, I knew what he was trying to say until I got to the roaches part. What was he saying about the roaches? Uh, can, we, can we go back to the roaches? And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down so it was straight and then watch the hair come back up again. They'd look at it. So I learned about roaches. I learned about kids jumping on my lap. And I've loved kids jumping on my lap. So, so what, is, what is the roach thing? Is he saying he knows poverty? I think that's what he's saying. Okay. But it, I know about roaches. I know no about kids, kids jumping in, in my, my lap. What? It's like he takes all these problematic statements and throws them into a blender. Yeah. And comes out with like a Joe Biden shake. Right. It's like neurological like Apple Jacks or something. Yeah. He's just like the whole, he's just shaking things out on the table. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't make any sense. And, and you know, the whole pre- the reason that he tells that story about Corn pop. Corn pop. Is to show that he's like an ambassador. He can negotiate with black people. Yeah, he's and an black ambassador criminals. of whiteness or something yeah, like that. Yeah, ambassador like back and forth. And he has, you know, and this is his big, his, the reason he brought this up in the first place, his experience working at this pool is because like that was his big civil rights activism was being a lifeguard at a black pool. Right. Like he really has and said. And standing up to corn pop. Yeah. And like, yeah, and not apologizing to corn pop for kicking him out of the pool but apologizing to him for calling him Esther Williams. Right. (laughs) Which is a, you know, there's a line. I like the way he's like very deliberate about what was okay and what wasn't okay. Right. And the fact that the the lingering image for him is somebody straightening out the blonde hairs on his leg and he's got hairy legs. Do you think that that's like, oh, look, look how I was this exotic creature to these black people who had never seen blonde leg hair before? Right. And like, I don't, what is, what do you think he's trying to say there? I don't know, but I'm just so afraid that he's going to be, if, if he becomes president, that he's going to just start spontaneously doing things like this. And yeah. you know, he's going to be sitting down with the president in Mexico. and Like just, he'll lift up his, his pant leg? Right. Yes, exactly. But yeah, I don't know what he's saying. And also just throwing around the term kids on my lap in this, especially when he's so weird with, with people. I know and about kids, kids and, jumping on my lap and he's got, like like, he's got that, the girl around said, yeah. it, his hands are on the, the, the girl at the beginning of the video. That's the far end of the, of the yeah, Biden spectrum. Right. So right. a little we'll, nibble of his wife's finger. Yeah. You could take that. it two ways. You could take it as he's insane and a cannibal in, in his, in his but, private right. life. Right. Or he's just aff- being affectionate. With I his think, wife. yeah, honestly, it's maybe it's sad, but it, it, it came close to his face a couple times, her hand. Right. And then he finally, he just hammed it up 
as you said before, and that's I think what it is. Um, yeah, I think he was basically playing to the crowd. Yeah, the crowd was the crowd was noticing that that uh, his wife's hand was too close to his face right. on a couple of occasions, and he right. was kind of leaning toward it. Wait, what a metaphor though. She was like trying to shut him up, like Joe. Yeah, what would shut Freud up? say? What would Freud say? Right, she's yeah. telling other people to swallow. Yeah. She's telling Joe to be quiet. Yeah, she was and pulling the shade down. Yeah, on his face, right, because he's such a gaff master. Right. And this is kind of the ultimate Joe Biden thing. He's like, I'll take you trying to silence me. I won't talk, but I'll bite your finger. Right. I'm going to say that I think we should have a ruling, a Biden ruling on this. Yeah. You know, that this is not a bad Biden no. situation. This is a this is a Biden neutral or what? What, yeah. how, what can we rate it? Like two blonde leg hairs way up. Two blonde leg hairs way up. Okay. Right? Yeah. Like a leg hair down would be telling black people to wear condoms and all that right. on AIDS Day or whatever right, it was that you've done do. before, right. Yeah. right? yeah. So I don't think this is that bad. No. It's yeah. certainly not a bad Bidenism. Right. So um, viewers may remember that we had an, an interesting kind of um, untraditional approach to getting Andrew Yang onto the show. Well, first we were nice. First we were nice. Oh yeah, totally civil, normal chain of command, emails yeah. back and forth and you respectful. know respectful, the usual protocol. Then things got a little there was some resistance and um Yeah, then you just sort of kicked them in the gonads in the, in the last show. Yeah. yeah. I yanged yeah. him. I got I had to get him into yang right? formation. I had to get the yang gang into formation. I didn't threaten them, I challenged them. Yeah, you challenged you know, them. What ha- yeah, so Matt had been on the Joe Rogan show, and people really like what you had to say. They wanted you to interview Andrew Yang, because they think of him as a, a fellow truth teller, and he's been on Joe Rogan, so they tweet about that. You said that we had invited him, and we'd love to have him, which is true. I said, it's true, we'd love to have him, Bring make it happen, Yang Gang, and there was not a lot of, there was radio silence, basically. There was radio silence. So I asked Yang Gang to come correct. And they did. And they did. There was some pushback. I made. I did make one thread about circumcision, which I'm just <laughs> adding for context. I did threaten to maybe perform a bris for like every week. We didn't hear from them. Right. He saved a foreskin by coming on the show. Right. Yeah. And I mean, people probably know about this, but Andrew Yang is an American entrepreneur, philanthropist, lawyer, and 2020 presidential candidate. And he's the founder of Venture for America, a nonprofit organization that focuses on creating jobs in struggling American cities. And he worked at various startups and early stage growth companies as a founder or executive from 2000 2009. After he founded VFA, the Obama administration selected him in 2012 as a champion of change and in 2015 as a presidential ambassador for global entrepreneurship. And he's a big proponent of universal basic income. And he's now, I think, in fifth place in the in the presidential right, yeah. race. Yeah. Without further ado, let's uh, go to this great interview we had with presidential candidate and contender, Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang is here. Ask and you shall receive. <laughs> or harass. Harass and you shall receive. Yeah, we, we, we sort of want to clear the air about that. Yeah. Like we, It was a good cop, bad cop thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, Katie was very, very, uh, what's the word I should use? Um, vigilant. Vigilant or vigilant. B- belligerent. Belligerent, yeah. Bellicose. Yeah, and so... We're very, very grateful that you're yeah, here. Thank you. uh, I didn't you. think anything of it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been a huge fan of uh, your work for a while, so it was a great opportunity. But sometimes it funny. takes the, you know, the outsider, like you are the outsider. I was the outsider in this exchange. Like you got the, you know, award-winning journalist um, <laughs> w- with whom you have a very respectful professional relationship. 
but he's too polite. <laughs> to be like, and, yo. Yeah. Yang. Yeah. So I. What's the hold up? Exactly. He's You've way too nice. You've been on a nice. lot less cool shit than this. Exactly. So I had to go to the Yang Gang. And Yang Gang, I want to thank you. If you'll join me in camera one at camera one. That's a funny way to two. put it. Yang yeah. Gang, thank you. You delivered. I challenged you. I called you guys cowards. And you weren't. And yeah. the way you proved it. The Yang Gang is no joke. You no, cannot, they're you cannot no mess joke. with yeah. the Yang Gang. Some it's, people got upset, by the way. They, some people were like, I can't believe you're doing this for attention. Because I, I, I like hammed it up. I was no, like, what no, do you no. have to hide, Yang Gang? <laughs> no, no, Why are you afraid? And they're like, oh, we're not afraid. There, there are people that are kind of jerks uh, in hopes of having me on. And you guys are not not in that group at all. So. Before we get into the, 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 the Yang Gang Thing. Is, is any of this a surprise to you, how, how uh, enthusiastic and, and far-reaching the, the internet support group is for you? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it kind of organically grew up, right? It's not like something you plan necessarily, is it? Um, you can't plan or predict this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I know, I mean, I, I had a message I thought was really important, and I was joking with someone. I was like, I was prepared to go it alone. <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> you know what I mean? Gang, um, gang of one. Like, like I, I could have slept, I could have lived with myself if... Uh, I'd run a campaign and it had not gone well, but I had done what I thought, uh, you know, was the right thing. But it's certainly a thrill to have so many people excited about me and the campaign and the message and the vision of a 21st century economy that works for us. Well, that's, I guess, a good place to start because obviously I've been covering campaigns for a long time. And long before this election cycle, I I kept thinking to myself, you go to these small towns all all across America, and the the first thing that comes to mind is there's no plan for any of these people, right? There's just the, it's almost like the candidates would come through and they would just sort of tell people to make a choice, but nothing real was going to (laughs) happen. You're right, man. I mean, you do have that feeling for sure. Right. I mean, but, but so, so I think your, your campaign, I mean, Bernie has a, has a different message, but at least the diagnosis is sort of in the same ballpark. Um, What prompted you to make the decision to to jump in and how different do you think your campaign is uh, compared to other traditional uh, presidential campaigns? I thought I had a very important message to bring to the American people that it's not immigrants that are causing economic dislocations, it's technology, and that for better or for worse, technology is about to accelerate in unprecedented ways, and that we needed to revisit and rewrite the rules to work for people because a lot of the things you assume about uh, the economy are going to stop being true. Right. Uh, and so I thought all of this in 2017. I realized that the reason why Donald Trump won was that we'd automated away 4 million manufacturing jobs that were primarily in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Missouri, what Iowa. What a coincidence. Yeah, what a coincidence. All right. the swing states see one. So, and I didn't hear a peep of that on any of the cable news channels being like, hey, we're in the midst of the fourth industrial revolution. We blasted 4 million manufacturing jobs, got us Trump. It's about to take off. We're now going to do the same thing to retail jobs and call center jobs and fast food jobs and truck driving jobs and on and on. Uh, And so I thought, okay, someone needs to make this case as quickly as possible because for whatever reason, our political media establishment does not understand it or doesn't care or doesn't want to hear it. Uh, And then advanced real solutions because one frustration I have personally is when someone calls attention to a problem and then their solution is literally we should really talk about that (laughs) (laughs) let's let's fund a study to think about how we can talk about it some more in the future yeah Yeah, a commission on talking about it Uh, and so 
to me, it was obvious that we needed to have, and Matt, uh, you were before me on universal basic income. I'm actually kind of a Johnny come lately to universal basic income in the scheme of things. Really? Uh, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I was for it starting around, let's call it 2014 or so, but there are people that are um, way earlier than that. I mean, in some cases, decades earlier than that. So I thought, well, this universal basic income is going to have to happen at some point. And the sooner we adopt it, the better. And so those two things together, both the diagnosis of the problem and a solution that I thought was necessary. And so I said, okay, like I'm going to run for president and try and build these parallel cases. Uh, and it struck me as the most important thing I could do. And again, like I had no expectations where it's like, this is going to like whisk me to the White House. Right. It wasn't like that kind of thing. <laughs> well, Okay, well, can, can you talk about the sort of the scope of the problem, though, a little bit? Because, I mean, I think if, you, if people read your book, for the, the War on Normal People, I mean, you don't, if you don't live in a lot of these parts of America, you'll, a lot of the statistics are just shocking. Like, for instance, just the, the like, a, um, you know, malls, if a mall disappears, how many jobs? That's like, what I think according to your book, it's 1,300 jobs that are going to disappear, uh, right? It's 1,000 for the mall and then another 300. Uh, for the surrounding areas. The surrounding areas. And and if you could just talk about the dislocation that's going on and what, what the numbers mean and for people who live in big cities and aren't aware of the it. The great displacement. Yeah. You, you mean all of the folks who listen to Rolling Stone or <laughs> urban hipsters <laughs> yeah, hanging exactly. out? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, a lot of the urban hipsters are from other parts of the country. So right. So kind of know. So the five most common jobs in the United States by category are number one, administrative and clerical, which includes call centers. Number two is retail. So that's malls and shops. Number three is food service and food prep. Number four is truck driving and transportation. And number five is manufacturing. Those five job categories are about half of all American jobs. And so if you look at them each in turn, call center jobs are getting automated away by software. And then there are two two and a half million call center workers still in the U.S. making 14 bucks an hour. What Matt just mentioned is that 30% of America's stores and malls are closing in the next four years because Amazon is soaking up $20 billion in business every year and paying zero in taxes. So that's a pretty major Beautiful. loser. Yeah, great, <laughs> great combo, yeah. uh, and so the average retail clerk is a 39-year-old woman making between 9 and $10 an hour. And when her mall closes, what, what's her next move? There are self-serve kiosks in many of the McDonald's and fast food uh, franchises around the country, and McDonald's says they'll be in every location in the next two years. Truck driving is one that scares the shit out of me, where if you automate a significant number of truck driving jobs, it's going to be uh, chaos, in my opinion. It's the most common job in 29 states. Average trucker is a 49-year-old man. Uh, 94% of them are men, so there's not like a generalization. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Like, most yeah of, of course. Most yeah, of that'd dudes. be funny. If, like, that's, it's yeah. not problematic when it's true. Uh, and then manufacturing, we all know well. We already blasted away 4 million of those manufacturing jobs. So if you look out around most of the country, only 33% of Americans have a college degree. So when you think about the workforce, it's primarily high school grads. And the jobs I just named are literally the five most common job types in the U.S. And they're all going to shrink very, very quickly. And so the question is, what are millions of high school grads going to do for their next opportunity? Uh, with the knowledge that Americans are moving across state lines in multi-decade lows. So it's not like you have 100,000 people in one state being like, oh, no jobs for people like me here. It's time to go uh, to Seattle. Right. <laughs> like, that, like that's not really happening in real life. It's interesting because you're, like you were saying, Matt, you actually are someone who's spoken to people and looked at the problems and um, 
I think that you and Sanders and Warren are the three people who you get the sense have spent the most time with, with normal people, or at least kind of the most time thinking about how the economic issues um, impact them. Or at least even recognizing that they exist. I mean, that, that, yeah. that's a good starting yeah, point. Rec- yeah, right. And don't just pay lip service to it. Right. So, But part of what it seems to drive you um, from reading your book and hearing you um, speak is, is compassion and kind of a universalism. But then there's also a very kind of rational self-interest that I think a lot of wealthy people don't realize, which is that it's in their own best interest not to have mass inequality. And you yeah. mentioned how people are he- happier. It's, you see, you, there's a quote where it's like, even rich people are happier when they don't feel bad about being rich. <laughs> yeah, um, studies have shown that high income inequality corresponds to unhappiness among the winners. Because if you're in a highly unequal society uh, and you're just a few of the winners, then you feel bad more often. <laughs> right. And so uh, it's enlightened self-interest to try enlightened, and smooth yeah. out this uh, this rampant historic inequality that we're experiencing that's just going to get worse. Right. And you even quote Bismarck, Otto von Bismarck, right? Who says, If uh, a revolution, there must be better to undertake it rather than undergo it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk about that? Well, I, I mean, th- this state of affairs uh, is bad and getting worse. Uh, life expectancy in the U.S. has declined for the last three years because suicides and drug overdoses have overtaken vehicle deaths for the first time in American history. Last time American life expectancy declined for three years in a row was 100 years ago during the Spanish flu, a global right. pandemic that killed millions. You were chanting that at your, one, of your, one of your rallies, right? The Spanish yeah, Spanish flu. flu. Yeah. Spanish flu, it's like they're chanting for a pandemic. Anyway, <laughs> it's just they know what I'm going to say. So, right. uh, so things are disintegrating in communities around the country, and our government does not care, really. There's no built-in feedback mechanism. You could say that Trump's victory was a giant cry for something right. clearly yeah I mean, help anger yeah. like something frustration um, and the democrats to me have not taken the message to heart uh where hillary clinton said something which i thought was jarring she said well i won all of the areas that were economically prosperous and then you're like she uh, said that <laughs> she said that That's you can like look something up that. We, oh my gosh wow yeah you can look that quote up and you were like you do you just hear yourself? And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like. Right, exactly. That's that's why Bill Clinton was mad apparently during the campaign cuz no one would listen to him and he was trying to tell her to t- pay more attention to the working class. But yeah, uh, uh and so it's getting bad and worse uh for unskilled men in particular and that cannot continue indefinitely in my opinion. Like eventually something very very nasty breaks out and in my opinion you're already seeing uh, the early signs of that. And like with what? Uh, Trump's well, election. No, maybe. I know. Yeah. I'd say Trump's election and then uh, mental illness and um, mass shootings right. because we have a very avid gun culture in this country where to me the the first step is self-destruction, which we're seeing. And then eventually that ends up getting externalized right. in various ways. Yeah. How much does this trace back? I mean, I've, I've talked to people in Republican crowds and, and in Democratic crowds for that matter who point to the early 90s, NAFTA, 
And sort of the original promise of NAFTA was, okay, we're going to do this thing that's going to that's going to have a radical disruption to the manufacturing economy, but but we're going to fix it by retraining the the population for different kinds of work. And sort of so that was you know Bill Clinton's pitch on television about this whole thing was this is going to be tough for a while, but we're going to we're going to retrain you for a new kind of life, and it's all going to work out in the end. Except the second thing didn't really happen, happen right? So so is that sort of an uncorrected? problem that is persisted? Yeah, I was stunned when I looked at the stats around government-funded retraining programs of manufacturing workers in the Midwest. Because every once in a while you can see the adjustment coming, like with NAFTA and with some of the other big moves. And so the government said, we'll retrain you. And there's zero accountability and near zero success around retraining. It's not like Bill had to stand there and be like, hey, out of these 10,000 people, how many were successfully retrained? It's like, what, 50? <laughs> like, well, that's kind of a disaster. Moving right along, you know, like there's, there are stories about how the government would show up to retrain workers and there was no school in the vicinity that was offering the appropriate retraining programs. So you know what happened? Some enterprising person said, I'll open a school and then retrains all of the workers, gives them all diplomas, and then closes the school the next day. The government, the government <laughs> wow. then checks it off and says, retrained, school's <laughs> gone, someone made money off of uh, our dollars, and then the workers are all like, I've now got a worthless certificate that didn't teach me shit, uh, and here we are. And the government is like, success, until you actually dig in and being like, did any of you get jobs in this new program that you got trained for? And they're like, no, but again, there's no... Uh, follow-up. There's no accountability. It's not like Bill Clinton had to come back years later and say, okay, here's what happened with NAFTA precisely with the uh, people that were the displaced losers in the the equation or trade. He just had to come back and see Hillary lose the election. I guess that was the closest to (laughs) accountability. It's true. That was part of why she lost, right? So the the big thing is that there are discrete winners and losers in all of these giant moves. Um, and in America, we're just ignoring the losers, and they're getting increasingly pissed off, rightfully yeah. so, um, because we're bullshitting them. <laughs> right. They they're like, hey, my town's gotten blasted to dust. Like you know, what used to be the manufacturing plant is now this dilapidated shell, and uh, you know, my people are killing themselves on right. uh, drugs and the rest of it. Um, and no one cares. Yeah, or there's this liberal, I mean, it's a subculture, I guess, but it's kind of overrepresented online and on certain media platforms, but this like, oh, it's toxic male, um, masculinity. Mas- toxic masculinity, white male fragility, like male tears. It's just like, do you think this is good for any of the people who are the victims of these This is the things? weirdest thing, Katie. I retweeted a New York Times article that said that opiate deaths among white people had surged to historic levels. And then I got accused of being uh, racist. Right. Because <laughs> you're censoring white people or something? <laughs> I literally, I was like, I retweeted a New York Times article and like that, that was like a racist move. I was like a... Anyway, yeah. I was so confused. It's, and plus, yeah. it's like, like, look at me. I'm like the, you know, I mean, not the, to say it's like obviously whatever. But like, you know, I'm an Asian dude. Right. Like, uh, you know, who's a child of immigrants. It's not like I, you know. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> it's not, not like a, anyone's idea of a white supremacist. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, you write about this in your book, all your experiences growing up with, you know, people calling you names and everything. It's not like you're sort of insensitive to the race yeah. issue, right? And yeah. You know, I mean, I was the lone skinny Asian kid in my uh, grade who skipped a grade. So it was, it was pretty. Oh, the woke button. Yes. The woke button. Here it is, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I needed that. Yeah. 
You want even if you're going to say something problematic, all you have to do is press yeah. it. We'll, we'll X out whatever it is you yeah. say. So. Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've obviously, you're running for president, and you have this this message, and it feels like the 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 media response to this, oh I mean, gosh, it's yeah. in some ways it's predictable. Um, but if they're paying attention to your campaign at all, and we saw, like, the debates – you know, last week the, the, it was unbelievable the way you know they didn't call on you for huge stretches of the debate. Um, <laughs> Thank you for noticing that. I appreciate it. Yeah, I, was t- I tweeted that. I know. The, I saw. Yeah, 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 I appreciate yeah. it. And, but the if if when they there's almost always this sort of patronizing tone, like oh, you're kind of a curiosity, you're an indie rock band, mm-hmm. right? Like and they're almost penalizing you because you have an idea, right? I mean, what's what's been your feeling about the media response to your campaign and what 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 the reaction has been? No, it, it's been an education, I would say. It's been a process <laughs> where if I'd imagined how I was going to be received by the media, it was somewhat different than how it played out. Uh, and MSNBC, as you, you guys know, like I'm, I've, I've gotten to a point where I just called it out and said, look, you guys have omitted me from over a dozen graphics, uh, you know, called me John Yang on air, uh, <laughs> like, you know, minimized me over not one but two debates where it's like 32 minutes and counting and I'm standing there. So my wife was joking because my wife was in the room. Um, so she was like, so first you went with the raise your hand move, which I did. Right. Um, then I went with the raise both hands move. So I was just like standing there with both my hands over You're my burning. head for a while. You're pulling a burning. <laughs> and then I just did the I'm going to start talking yeah. move. And then that like, uh, so it, it got ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, the generous interpretation is that they didn't know what to make of me and my campaign. But at some point, you have to just say that there seems to be something else at work here. Um, and I, I've already outperformed half a dozen senators, governors, congresspeople. Like at some point, if you're a working journalist, you should be like, huh, right. <laughs> like, right. like maybe I should actually uh, like dig into why this person is fifth or sixth in the polls. Like, why are they getting hundreds of thousands of Americans uh, to actually support them in a way that a lot of the more mainstream politicians um, have not been able to do? If you, I mean, if you were a U.S. senator from, I don't know, Minnesota, Kentucky, whatever it was, and you were doing, pulling these numbers, uh, and you had the online enthusiasm that you have, or just the overall enthusiasm, the, the media response would be completely different, don't you think? And, and so I'm trying to figure out how much of it is that I'm not a senator from state X right. uh, and how much of it is other things. Um, I don't know what the mixture is. Uh, I'm optimistic the, that we're going to continue to grow um, and that more and more journalists are going to take an interest in, in the campaign and really the, the movement we're building among uh, the American people. Yeah, it seems like there are three, you, Sanders, and Tulsi seem to be the three people who the media loves to most either ignore, distort, or in the case of Tulsi, like, hate. I mean, just like there's a visceral, I mean, I was like, I was just so embarrassed whenever I, and, and I don't know if you guys saw Joy Ann Reed was saying like, that, that Tulsi uses the word regime change wars, and that's a Russian term yeah, straight she from believes. the Kremlin was the, was the It's thing. like unbelievable. But how do you think, like, do you feel a camaraderie with Bernie and Tulsi uh, around the way the media treats you guys? So when you run for president, you wind up hanging out with the other candidates in green rooms and uh, union halls yeah. and whatnot. Matt's been there, mm-hmm. I, I think. Um, and so uh, I, I felt camaraderie with Tulsi early on just because we'd be working the 
uh, circuit in Iowa, New Hampshire, and she travels with her husband, who's a cool guy, and yeah. is also a photographer. Um, so we just kind of chill out and bond and just become friendly and, yeah. and friends over time. Um, we haven't talked that much about uh, the media. Uh, we just talked about other things. Um, Bernie, I was so touched when he said he liked me to a journalist. Then I and I told him so at the last debate. And then he put his arm around me. And was like, "Of course I like you, Andrew. You're bringing <laughs> a lot you. of good ideas to the table." And I was like so touched. I felt like my uncle had just blessed me. Oh my god, uh, that's really great. But uh, but you know, Bernie and I haven't really talked about uh, the media either. Though I know a lot of burners are very. Um, pissed off about how he was treated in the last cycle oh, because yeah. it seems like and they were trying to <laughs> kneecap Well, well yeah, turn. the same one. I wrote a piece about this, the MSNBC math, uh, the same MSNBC that, like, you know, forgets you or leaves you out on purpose. And this constant debate, what we have, like, ignorant or dishonest, like, is it a dumb mistake or are they actually much more, I think it's much more, like, Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of things going yeah. on there. Don't you? I mean, But, well, you know, and, they and just, like, messed up the math. So he, they say he's in third place, even though they're standing in front of something showing him in second place. <laughs> they invert oh, numbers. With, no, I know, yeah. but it's, yeah. Yeah, do it to Bernie. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my, um, I, I think there's something. Well, my wife has said, like, hey, is there anything you can actually trace? And I was like, I think that um, that the corporate parent, like, uh, has actually contributed to a couple of candidates' campaigns. And so that there might be something right. um, at work there. It was not my campaign or Bernie's, I'll tell you that. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, I mean, also, just sort of generally speaking, the whole theme of your campaign is kind of the failure of the current economic system uh, to address huge problems in society. Obviously, the Washington Post, which is owned by Jeff Bezos, is not going to be pleased about your right. diagnosis about Amazon.com or what that's what that's doing. So, I mean, the, the, don't you think the underlying sort of critique that your your campaign suggests is, you know, an anathema to what they really, the, you know, sort of the basic message of corporate press? There, there's definitely uh, that distinct possibility, but there are other people who are super entrenched in yeah. the corporate world that agree with me. Um, like Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase said, we should declare a national emergency around the fact that the U.S. economy is not helping most Americans, and we should adopt a negative income tax, which is a very close cousin to my uh, freedom dividend universal-based income. We just guarantee everyone a certain income level, uh, and have a Marshall Plan to rebuild America. And this is the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. I mean, he's like yeah. the most corporate dude around. But he's looked at the numbers and concluded the same thing I have and Ray Dalio has and other people. They look up. The thing that blows me away is that numerate people can look into just the numbers I lay out in my book and are like, yeah, there's something clearly broken about the way value is reaching the average American at this point. Uh, and then the obvious solution is, well, let's just put more value in people's hands. Like uh, That seems like a really direct, elegant fix. Right. <laughs> and and I'm happy to say, like, Jamie's essentially there. Um, Ray is at, was at least looking at it. I'm obviously 100%, 1,000% there. But then, to me, this is not an anti-corporate message, because if you're J.P. Morgan Chase, are you going to get more banking customers if there are more people in the middle class and, like, a functioning consumer economy? Right. Sure. Is this going to be good for Target? Yes. AT&T? Yes. Like, da, da, da. So it, it doesn't make sense to me that companies would be trying to push people under the bus because if people go under the bus then eventually the companies go under the bus too you know right when did you first get the idea that that ubi universal basic income would be good to implement 
You said you were a Johnny come lately to it, but what made you think of it? Do you remember? Did you have an aha moment? I started a nonprofit that Matt knows well called Venture for America right. in 2011, and uh, we helped create several thousand jobs around the country. It's still going. And so during that time, I was reading all these books about the future of work because I was Mr. Entrepreneur at Job Creation. Right. I was like, oh, I should <laughs> yeah, know all the stuff Obama about. named you something. Uh, uh, right. Champion of change yeah. and a global ambassador of entrepreneurship. And so the, the, a lot of these books about the future of work were like, hey, technology is going to absorb more and more of the work and we should move towards universal basic income at some point or as soon as possible. And I read these books like uh, Rise of the Robots and... Uh, Second Machine Age and other books about the future of work that would end this way, and I said, "Yeah, that makes sense to me." Uh, you know, I'd just be like, "Sure, we should do that." It wasn't like, "Oh, I should quit my, quit everything and make it happen," but I was like, "Yeah, we should do that." Right. And then in 2015, I read a book by Andy Stern, who I don't know if you know Andy. Uh, he used to run the biggest union SEIU, in the country, right? SEIU. Andy's yeah, he wrote, wrote a book called "Raising the Floor," and he said, "The future of labor is no labor. We're screwed, and we need a universal basic income as soon as hmm. possible." He actually said someone should run for president on this as soon as possible. Oh. And I took that as like a, you know, a mission statement. So I had lunch with him in 2017 and I said, I agree. Is anyone running for president on this? And he said, no. And I was like, then I will run for president on this. And he said, who are you again? <laughs> um, no, he was, he was uh, more excited than that. But, um, but to me, Andy Stern's book closed the bookend because if you have a bunch of technologists saying, hey, we're going to automate away the jobs, you're like, okay. But you might naturally think that because you're a technologist and you would right, overhype like the right. impact of yeah. technology. But then if you have the labor champion right. say, we're going to automate all the jobs away, then you're like, okay, at this point you can uh, like capture both ends. Yeah. Because his rooting interest is not <laughs> the technologist being right. right. His rooting interest is the centrality of labor. Yeah. So if someone who fought for the centrality of labor for decades is willing to say that we need to do this, then I was like, okay, it's a wrap. Uh, we should do this. And you also say that, and this is true, of course, that UBI is not politically charged one way or the other necessarily, right? So like Milton Friedman liked UBI and then Martin Luther King liked it. Richard Nixon had a, uh, a, a version of, of it. Yeah. A ver version of it. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. So some, some, to play the bad cop again, um, some <laughs> of your, some critics of UBI say that unless it's accompanied by not kind of like vague, but very concrete plans to increase the welfare state, it'll supplant it or decrease the welfare state. You know, for instance, if you have to give up, because I know at first I think your plan said you'd have to give up your, you choose between disability and the freedom dividend, but you've changed it. There are certain I, programs that you have to choose between, okay. like the cash and cash equivalent type of programs. And so is there not the danger then that people will get have more cash and then like landlords will just charge people $1,000 more per month? It actually makes us harder to exploit, not easier to exploit. If you've got a passive income of 1000 bucks a month, and let's say you're a waitress at a diner and they're harassing you, you're more likely to say shove it because you know you're not going to... Uh, starve to death if you need to go without work for two or three weeks while you find another gig. Um, same is true in your housing. It's like if you're getting passive income a thousand bucks a month and I'm your landlord and I try and stick it to you, then you're more likely to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to try and find a non-jerk landlord <laughs> who's not trying to gouge me for every last nickel. Or maybe even get together with some friends and, you know, like buy a fixer-upper or something like that. Um, the point about the welfare state, it's born of 
like in, in many ways, like a very well-founded belief that people are looking to get rid of the welfare state in any way possible. And the welfare state has been getting attacked in various right. ways in like the state and federal level for a long time. Um, what I try and explain to people is that my freedom dividend is a foundation or a floor, and then we need to build on top of it and keep solving problems. Like, I'm not a person who, A, thinks this is going to solve every problem, um, or B, wants to take stuff away from people that need it. Um, if anything, I want to do more. Are there other, ben- I mean, I read a book uh, called Utopia for Realists by Ruck- Rucker Bregman. Yeah, and Rucker, the, uh, he and I are friendly. Yeah, um, and he talked about how uh, universal basic income would also have all sorts of other benefits. Like there are studies that show that people, he said, that, I think there was a quote in there something like, uh, poor people are just like everybody else, they just have less money. Like, you know, they take better care of themselves when they have a little bit of money. Like, they'll, they'll, they'll <laughs> actually look for jobs more than they would. Uh, I think his quote is, um, poverty is not an absence of character. It's an absence of cash. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. Right. <laughs> but, you know, he, he talked a lot in that book about how the obstacle there was that people have just gotten out of the habit of big ideas in, in Western politics. The phrase he used that we become a, a society of managers and technocrats, that just breaking out of the idea of having a big idea is already an enormous obstacle. I mean, have you found that in, in your campaign? Wow. You know, I mean, I hadn't read this book in a little while, but uh, he's definitely right. Um, to me, this... Freedom dividends, universal basic income, is necessary and inevitable, and we should just get the show on the road and make it happen. Um, And I agree with Rutger that our current system does not reward transformative ideas. Uh, It rewards more incremental solutions, which I I understand. um, But if you go decades without balancing the economy, then it turns out the debt you owe is really significant to a point where what seems transformative is actually just long overdue. Now, I agree with him. It's one reason why it takes someone like me to put forward what I think strikes most Americans as pretty obvious, that, hey, we've been going through these technological changes, and uh, it's not the 20th century anymore. We can't keep pretending it's a 1975 economy. Uh, And then, to me, $1,000 a month in everyone's hands, making a stronger, healthier less stressed out, mentally healthier, more productive, better decision makers, also seems obvious. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really excited that we can mainstream these ideas uh, very quickly. And what about Medicare for All? That's another thing that people are talking about. Um, and the, the big, you know, the hot topic is whether or not there should be private, ins- the option for private insurance. I, I'm of Let's the say. mind that we should provide a public option for health care, Medicare for all, um, but then outcompete the private insurers and squeeze them out of the marketplace. A lot of Americans are happy with their coverage. In some cases, unions negotiated very, very hard over <laughs> their coverage and gave up a lot of other stuff. Uh, and so if we can provide for Americans, and, and uh, similar to the Freedom Dividend, raise the floor of coverage, uh, then I think we can wring out a lot of the excesses of private insurance very quickly. I think characteristically, you're one of the first people to kind of break ranks with some of the other oh, Democratic yeah. ca- candidates on impeachment. You've you've made some comments that uh, drew some fire, and but but from pundits, what's your take on on the impeachment process? Basically, I think it's, the substance of your criticism is that it's not necessarily going to help Democrats in the end. Um, could you talk a little bit about your thinking on, on this issue? I'm pro impeachment, but this is going to be a loser. <laughs> <Right. Right. laughs> uh, I mean, How not dare not. A, I mean, not a single Republican has given any indication that they're in fact-finding mode. They're all in 
defend the president mode. And you need literally dozens of Republican senators to switch sides when the trial starts, which we've gotten zero indications going to happen. So uh, the more this drags on, the more danger there is of two things. Number one, Donald Trump comes out of this and says, vindicated, you know, totally exonerated. Uh, And number two, we're wasting precious time where we should be creating a positive vision that Americans are excited about, solve the problems that got Donald Trump elected and beat him in 2020. If all that happens is all, all of the Democrats are talking about impeachment that fails, then it seems like there is no vision. It seems like all we can do is throw ineffective rocks at Donald Trump, right. and then it ends up um, leading, unfortunately, toward his reelection. Right. Yeah, it's not just ineffective, but like you often point out, it hel- and you have said too, it helps him, right? It's like good PR for him. He gets He's a creature that thrives on attention, and yeah. so the more attention he gets, um, the better for him, the worse for Democrats. Yeah. Well, the, the, there's there's an inevitable headline now when if it goes to the Senate, they won't vote to convict, and there is going to come a day when when he's going to be able to say, yeah. I, I I beat it. So the, this whole thing ends almost inevitably in some kind of a win for Donald Trump, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. And then he's like these. Democrats, uh, you know, couldn't beat me at the ballot box. They had to try this ineffective right. impeachment thing that was a witch hunt, blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, do I think he did, um, he abused his power and, and uh, tried to pressure the Ukrainians to help out in slagging Joe Biden? Of course. Yeah. You know, it seems pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, right. And, and so it's a tough balance for Democrats because I see the need to impeach and the reason to impeach. Um, if you can do two things at once, it would be like, look, we should go through with impeachment, but every moment we should be talking about solving the problems that got Donald Trump elected right. and a new way forward. That's what St. Bernard said, too, right? He said we can chew bubble gum and walk at the same time during the debate. Oh, it's gonna be, I mean, it's going to be tough if all of the senators in the field have to head to D.C. for the trial. Uh, and then if they don't head back to D.C., they were like, look, I know enough to convict without uh, being there, I mean, that's also a Oh, tough right. Balance. Yeah, I know. I wonder if that's also why they're doing it. That's a talking point as well. Yeah. yeah. But this all gets back to the same. I mean, I felt like after 2016, after covering that, the first thought I had is, well, this is going to inspire a rethink in the Democratic Party. They're going to go back. They're going to re-argue their case. Um, they're going to find a way to, to tell people how they're going to fix sort of the problems of ordinary people across America. And immediately they plunged first into Russiagate, now, now into impeachment. And the, you know, arguments like yours, you know, Bernie's in a different way, um, they just haven't been focusing uh, on voters, right? They're focusing on this thing that to a lot of people is a is a, an internet sign Washington drama. Right. Right? Un- unfortunately, Matt, uh, my team and I have been part of some of the planning sessions, and that's not changing. like their take on it is like we argued against trump wrong last time this time we're gonna really stick it to him by talking about this and you're like oh my gosh like we've learned nothing right (laughs) this won't be the last thing we talk about because we can't end on this but because i brought it up we have to talk about the circumcision thing okay that's cool we have to okay all right i can't i can't use that as a hook to get the yang gang and then not talk about and we it. we got to close the loop, so to speak. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. we got to cut to the chase. <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay, cut. so, and then we'll end on something very uplifting. When did this become an important issue for you, and how have people responded to it? Well, it was born of a conversation on Twitter, as many things are. <laughs> uh, and I was asked my point of view on circumcision, uh, and I said something about how I, I don't think it's uh, necessary or positive for uh, the infants, and then that 
gave rise to like a whole hullabaloo, I think is the, the sentence. And so uh, I think parents should do whatever they want yeah. with their infants. Um, I do think that the medical necessity slash case for a circumcision has been overstated, where if you're a new parent, they're like, oh, you should do this. Right. It's like, why exactly should I <laughs> yeah. be doing this? Uh, and, you know, my wife, we have two boys. My wife and I um, went through this process ourselves uh, with, with the boys, um, and we found the medical case to be quite unconvincing. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, we just wanted, I personally would just want parents to inform themselves. Yeah, there's a lot of outdated medical studies based on like World War One trenches <laughs> and stuff that hopefully are not living in those conditions. But yeah, I think I, my friends who do global health stuff are like, it's a recommendation for certain parts of the world. I, I agree with you. There, there's the line. And uh, the one relief I have as a Jew is that we can't, it's not just our thing anymore. Although now I guess we can be accused of running many worlds, but uh, I'm a Jew. It's not just uh, you. I've been to Briss's, you know. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We mentioned a Briss literally once or per circumcision. podcast. Yeah, well, least. that's what yeah. I'm saying. Really? It doesn't well, have we got to be it in a there. Briss. I, yeah. I satisfied the quota. <laughs> yeah, you did. You, we're, we're, we're outperforming. I didn't even know right. about the quota. Yeah, yeah. My point is there's nothing anti-Semitic to say question circumcision. That should be another hashtag. Um, make like America think harder, the yeah. find the rationale as Joe Biden's, and yeah. then question circumcision. <laughs> Yang 2020. Well, just do your homework. It's all Yang 2020. Yeah. Um, what's the funniest thing that's happened on the campaign trail? You have a great, you have a great sense of humor, yeah, uh, especially for a politician. Yeah. But, uh, well, thank you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you, Katie. Yeah, yeah. you do. Very funny. Well, uh, meeting uh, the man who got a, a tattoo of my face on his calf and then, po- <laughs> and then posing next to his calf. <laughs> <laughs> was it was it like did it have facial was it a hairy calf or like hairless or it was I think it was a normal Normally, amount yeah. of hair on the calf. It was the emoji of my face. I don't know if you've seen like the dancing yang. Yeah. Yes, like yeah, that, yeah. That. So it wasn't like a real life right, version right. of my face. It was it was the emoji face. That's gonna but be it was there, it was real, it was permanent. Uh so you know that that was fun. There's a person out there who has you on their calf for the rest of time. Uh, what I said is uh, I'd better fucking win. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who would who are you going to run with? Who would be running mate? You would run with out of the current candidates. Really good question. I, I'm I'm enjoying getting to know the other candidates. Um, we have to see how the field plays out, but there are a number of people I can see myself working with happily. Anyone in particular? Anyone? You know, we we all have to just fight it out and, right. and, and see which which of then us. Then we'll, we'll up talk to our we'll, we'll talk to our friends at the show. We've had a couple of them on. We can introduce you. You know, like a formal meeting in case you're shy about it. Oh, well, thank you, Katie. The summit. Yeah, the summit. The Useful Idiot Summit. The Useful yeah. Idiot Summit. UIS. We horse trade. Yeah. <laughs> All right, excellent. So I might see you on the campaign trail in uh, New Hampshire and Iowa in the next couple Come of months. Come on out. Yeah. Yeah. Bus tour, New Year's Eve party in New Hampshire. So Ooh. many options. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. But yeah, we, we are going to grow and grow and peak at the exact right time. Uh, the American people are a sleeping giant, and we are waking them up. Excellent. Excellent. Well, congratulations on on an already extremely successful campaign. um, And thank you so much for coming in. And go to yang2020.com and follow Andrew Yang on Twitter. Yang2020.com. Join the Yang gang. The average donation is only 30 bucks. So our fans are almost as cheap as Bernie's. (laughs) We're a very cheap and wholesome gang to join. Excellent. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys. What a great interview that was. That was fantastic. Really I love how he ripped us. He and did. He, he ripped he, like, he ripped everyone though. He was like, Yang, you've been on shows that suck worse than this. Yeah, I know. You know? <laughs>
But it was like a rip. <laughs> it was, it was really a self-rip too, you know. It was, but it was. It, He's a very dim- he Democrat. He took himself down, yes. but us, like even it was, it was. Yeah, it was, it was like really a funny. the opposite of a rising uh, tide. Yeah, yeah, it's like a, a lowering tide. He's got a good sense of humor. He does have a great sense of humor. And, and and a lot of politicians do, but they never show it. It's true. He right? he's one of the best. I got to say, he's one of the best people in terms of keeping it real. Right. Like in his media pre- pre- uh, appearances, he really does. He's and, not very different. And I'll, I'll say, B- Bernie is another one who is the same on the record or off the record. Like literally, there's no difference. Right. Like he he'll talk about exactly the same right. things. But Bernie's not particularly funnier off the record. He's right. Just, Yang Yang is just he. That's just, I think that's just who yeah. he is. Anyway, that was a great interview. Uh, thanks so much to Andrew Yang and to his campaign to for for setting that that up. And yeah. uh, we'll we'll revisit his campaign soon. Yeah, and uh, make sure you listen to Useful Idiots. You watch Useful Idiots. You rate and review us on iTunes. Right, and do not listen to Pod Save America no. because those people uh, communicate disease. They do. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.